you beautiful people, and welcome to the Glorious and the Mundane podcast. I'm your host, Christy Knuckles. Welcome home. My prayer is that you find this a soft place to land today in a world that's a bit on edge. I was reminded this past week just how on edge everyone is as we were pulling in a parking space to eat at one of our local restaurants, and my Ellie was driving, and she's still learning how to park. You know how it is. Parking is just one of those things that takes time and practice, and it can be really stressful when you feel like people are being impatient with you. As we were pulling in, Ellie was having a really hard time, partly because I drive an SUV, and this parking lot felt like it was made for clown cars, so there's that. And as I'm very calmly talking Ellie through how to back up a little and even out so this guy next to us would be able to get into his car, Well, that guy who was parked there next to us is walking out of the restaurant. And I kid you not that he doesn't waste any time walking straight over to my car and banging on the side of it as hard as he possibly could. Well, as you can imagine, this scares Ellie out of her wits and she's done in while I had to get out of the car and have to choose to not go to this guy's level of edginess And I had to calmly explain to him as soon as I got out of the car that she's a teenager and that she's still learning how to park. And his wife looks at me and I thought maybe she was going to understand and, you know, take up for me and be graceful. And she shrugs her shoulders and says, well, he couldn't get in the car. Breathe in and out. Everyone with me now, just breathe. I had to get in the car and tell Ellie it was a first I can honestly say that no one has ever walked over and banged on the side of my car while I was trying to straighten out in a parking spot. She already has a hard enough time with wanting to drive by herself. She technically has her license, but hasn't just really wanted to drive on her own a lot yet. And now I feel like I have a bit more work to do when it comes to helping her get over some of those fears. But anyway, it's a world on edge. I hope that story doesn't discourage you, but maybe helps us all to remember to even be a soft place to land for those who are on edge. Even when you are on the receiving end of the edginess, to stay calm, to breathe in and out, to extend grace, even when your mama bear instincts kick in and you want to give the bully a piece of your mind and maybe even your fist. (laughs) Remember that it's a world on edge and nothing good will come out of us returning the edginess. Nothing's going to change if we don't start offering grace and become that soft place to land. That's what I want my life to be anyway. That's what I want my home to be, this podcast, a place for people to land that's safe and free and soft. So here we are. These days, I also feel I want to create a space for laughter and fun. And hear me say that this is not to ignore what is going on in our world, in our place, and trying to engage in being a part of the solution. But it just means that we're having to be intentional in balancing what is going on in our world by creating that soft place to land and a space to still laugh and enjoy the little things in life together. I went to a small birthday dinner the other night for my friend Michelle, and I kid you not, for about half of the dinner, the seven of us laughed. You could tell it was just this release, like all of us needed to just laugh, and it felt so amazing. I don't even remember what we laughed about, but it was beautiful. 
I know I mentioned to you too that during the quarantine, our family decided that we were going to watch all of the Marvel uh, Avengers movies that we've missed throughout the years. When the Avengers movies first came out years ago, we really had no interest in them because our kids were itty bitty and we were busy watching Blue's Clues and The Wiggles. But now that our kids are 13, 17, and Noah just turned 20 this month, yes, I just said 20. So we decided that this was the year that we were going to make up for lost time and watch the entire saga. Well, I'm not at all condoning the movies or saying that you need to watch them as a family, but what I am condoning is creating moments for family bonding and laughter and happiness. And for us, this was it. This was a big one. In fact, the night we watched the last big Avengers movie, which is called Endgame, I ran over to Party City that morning, masked and all, and proceeded to buy what looked like the contents of a nine-year-old's Avenger-themed birthday party. (laughs) I got on Pinterest and got some great ideas for Avenger-themed party food. I mean, we went all out. We made a berries and yogurt plate that looked like Captain America's shield. We drank apple Gatorade and called it Hulk Punch. I mean, I labeled everything. It was very Pinteresty. We had cheeseburgers because that's Iron Man's favorite food. We decorated these chocolate-covered Oreos to look like Black Widow's belt buckle. And my personal favorite, we made tiny Thor's hammers out of pretzel sticks and little blocks of cheese. And then we watched Endgame, and we literally cried our eyes out at the end. Well, a couple of days later, one of my daughters and I were driving somewhere, and I asked her, what do you think it is inside of us that causes us to connect so much to movies like that? Well, as we started talking about it, I was reminded of one of the lullabies that we wrote that says, every fairy tale you love, they have borrowed your story. And it's so true. All the big stories with villains and heroes about the epic war between darkness and light, they've simply borrowed our story. I think it's why deep down we connect with it. And of course, the special thing about all the Avengers and Marvel movies is that all of the characters eventually come to know each other. And spoiler alert, they become like family. They don't always get along. In fact, there's some pretty epic battles that happen just within the family. But in the end, when it's all said and done, when it all comes down to it, they fight side by side against the darkness so that the light will overcome. And because this is our real story, we long for this kind of family, for this kind of belonging, to really know that when it's all said and done, we really will come alongside one another, whatever it takes, and watch the real enemy get exposed and destroyed as the light, who is Jesus, overcomes. Speaking of standing side by side through it all, today's episode, we will come around Psalm 119, verses 73 through 80. And what sets this little portion of the scripture apart from the others so far is that the psalmist actually sings of others in this passage. Up until now, it has sort of felt like we've been peering in on a very intimate song that has been sung between the psalmist and the Lord. The conversation has been completely vertical up till now, and we've learned that we too can sing this song to the Lord, even through adversity and affliction. But today, the psalmist thinks and sings horizontally as a response to faithfully singing to the Lord all this time. Again, I think this speaks of that created order that we talk about so much on this podcast, living from our belovedness, from what I often refer to as the bullseye, and how that changes 
how we even approach others each day and in every season of life. My book that's coming out in November called The Life You Long For, Learning to Live from a Heart of Rest, it's pre-orderable right now, by the way, everywhere you order books. But there are three parts to the book that display this beautiful created order that God's called us to live from. The first part of the book is called The Calling of the Beloved. This is God's heart for us, ultimately, to become rememberers who live every day from this bullseye of our belovedness. And this, believe it or not, is the highest calling on our lives. And then the other parts of the book are the community of the beloved and then the capacity of the beloved. So living from our belovedness, that bullseye, orders us to be that soft place to land eventually for the community that God has called us to cherish and treasure in this life. Notice that it's people before productivity here. And then that last section is called the capacity of the beloved. This is the reclaimed outer rings of our lives. So when we live from the order of that belovedness, we bring our beloved community with us into our highest capacity. We were never made to fight the darkness alone. We were always meant to endure side by side. This is why I had tears streaming down my face during the movie Endgame, because there will be an Endgame battle at the end of time, and there will be a beloved community standing and enduring side by side to the end. Well, I'm going to read over you the most important words that I'll speak this episode. This is the word of the Lord over you today. And by the way, the grass will wither and the flowers will fade, but the word of the Lord is going to stand forever. That's Isaiah 48. Nothing like using the Word of God to set up the Word of God. Psalm 119, 73 through 80. Your hands have made and fashioned me. Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice, because I have hoped in your Word. I know, O Lord, that your rules are righteous, and that in faithfulness you have afflicted me. Let your steadfast love comfort me according to your promise to your servant. Let your mercy come to me that I may live, for your law is my delight. Let the insolent be put to shame because they have wronged me with falsehood. As for me, I will meditate on your precepts. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. May my heart be blameless in your statutes that I may not be put to shame. I love verse 77, let your mercy come to me that I may live for your law is my delight. In God's word, we truly do find delight in what it looks like to truly live. And as I mentioned before, I believe that part of what we were made to live in, in the life that God offers us is community with each other, community that actually grows to look like over time, more of a family that stands together and endures side by side. The two verses that we hear the singer point out, the presence of others are 74 and 79. And interestingly enough, both times he refers to a specific group of people. He identifies them both times as those who fear you. Well, I'm actually doing a little bit of a personal study right now on the fear of the Lord. Several weeks ago, we were with several leaders from around the country and just having some days of rest together as families. And one of the couples who joined us was John and Lisa Bevere. Well, John's life message 
is the fear of the Lord, which I've come to very much respect Him for it and believe that it's not a message that we hear enough of about these days because the message of love trumps all in our culture today. Do we need the message of love? Yes, of course, we can't do without it. But do we need the message of the fear of the Lord? Yes, we can't live without it either. In fact, John says in his book called The Fear of the Lord that we can't truly love God without fearing Him, and we can't really fear God without loving Him. This is one of those hold both sides of the tension thing that we talk about a lot. This is what the friendship and the fear of knowing God looks like. We had an episode a while back where I talked about the friendship and the fear of knowing God. And I referred to the disciple, John, who constantly all through the New Testament refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. He literally makes his entire identity in the scriptures to be centered around the fact that he is loved by God. When we looked at the beauty of John 13, 25 together, where it says that John leaned back against Jesus while they were all reclining at the table and he whispered so only Jesus could hear him. And we see here just this closeness of Jesus and his disciples, whom earlier in that very chapter, John said he loved them till the very end. But then on the other side of this tension, we can fast forward to Revelation 1, where this same John, he opens up this incredibly important book of the Bible by saying in chapter 1, verse 5, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom of priests to his God and Father, to him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. And then in verse 12 through 16, John begins to describe Jesus, the risen Lord, this vision he sees. It says, Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me, and on turning I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters." In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. Write, therefore, the things that you have seen, those that are and those that are to take place after this. As for the mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. Wow, so we're kind of holding this mystery together here, aren't we? Where John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, falls flat on his face here in reverence and awe before Jesus. But then Jesus says, fear not, I'm the first and the last and the living one. So again, it's as in many times in the word of God here, it's a both and. It's not contradictory that John falls flat on his face in fear, but then Jesus says, fear not. It's us having to hold both sides of the tension because the mystery is just that. 
it's a mystery. <laughs> it's another lesson here in you can't have one without the other. That's part of the mystery. And I believe the fear of the Lord looks like complete bewilderment that we get to belong to such a Savior. When John saw Jesus as the risen Lord, I imagine him stretching out face down in awe that he is loved by such a Lord. It's both. It's bewilderment that he gets to belong to the ultimate hero of all, this victor of the most epic battle of all time. He's face down in awe that he is loved by Jesus. John Bevere says it like this, to fear the Lord means to love God so much that we are afraid to be away from him. We love him and value his presence above all. Out of reverence for him, we choose to love what he loves and hate what he hates. In the end, the fear of the Lord can be identified by one simple thing, obedience. All throughout scripture, we can see that fearing God or reverently surrendering and obeying God brings blessing with it. I want to be careful to say not earthly blessing necessarily, or not always the changing of our circumstances, right? As we've clearly seen from the psalmist in Psalm 119. But it does promise us ultimately God's deliverance. Psalm 34, 7 says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him, and he delivers them. And verse 9 says, Fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him lack nothing. In Deuteronomy 5.29, we hear God's heart for us that we would fear him. It says, Oh, that they had such a heart as this always to fear me and to keep all my commandments, that it might go well with them and their descendants forever. Again, fearing is reverent obedience, and reverent obedience is undoubtedly how we walk in the way of the Lord. So now that we know who the psalmist is referring to by those who fear the Lord and that it's us, I think we can begin to relate to what he's really saying here. In verse 74, he says, Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. And verse 79 says again, let those who fear you turn to me, that they may know your testimonies. I've told you several times that I used to read this chapter and feel like it was something I couldn't really identify with in my day to day. But the more that I've gotten to know the singer's heart here, as I've seen and heard about his affliction and all that he's endured, I began to identify with him. I hope you have too. As we've learned about this way that the singer longs to walk in, which we were made to long to walk in too, is that it's the way that actually leads to actual relationship with this God who made us. We begin to stand in and truly live in the promise that we were made to be God's people and He, our God. And we begin to understand now why He longs for and is consumed with God's instruction and His Word. And now he's going as far as saying, let others who fear the Lord see me and rejoice. Here's the thing. I don't think the singer is saying this in a stuck-up, pious way, like, let everyone look at me as a prime example of how to keep God's commandments and walk in his way. I don't think that's what he's saying. I believe that I'm starting to really hear the singer's cry now and understand more of the posture of his heart. 
I also believe that he's been more than honest about all that he's been through. He hasn't had it easy. He's told us how he's been scoffed at, how his soul has literally been clinging to the dust. He's been plotted against and persecuted. He's even learned that affliction and adversity is the very goodness of God in his life. In verse 75, he declares yet again that in God's faithfulness, God afflicted him. So he's not being pretentious here, pretending that he doesn't struggle. He's telling it like it is. He's admitted things like, before I was afflicted, I went astray. And when I think on my ways, I turn my feet to your testimonies. He's being real here. He's admitting his own tendencies to be led astray. So I believe that what he's singing here in verse 74 and 79 is a prayer. Those who fear you shall see me and rejoice because I have hoped in your word. I think he's clearly saying here, because I've chosen to keep hoping in your word, God, may others see me and rejoice and simply be encouraged. Verse 79, again, this sings like a prayer here. Let those who fear you turn to me that they may know your testimonies. Again, I don't think this is a look at me and how good I do this, nor do I think he's saying, look at me so you'll know exactly how to do this. I think it's this beautiful and noble prayer here that says, God, let those who are walking in your way come to me if they need me. Let them come to me for encouragement, for cheering on, for seeing how even in affliction, they can find your faithfulness. And even if they just need someone that they can endure with side by side, someone who will keep upholding to the end alongside them, the testimonies of your word, God. I don't know about you, but I'm beginning to understand in this day and time that we're living in what Jesus meant when he said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. That's Matthew 7, 14. It's funny, after hearing the singer of Psalm 119 for so many weeks, it's like I can hear him singing those same words too, can't you? For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life. Well, the Spirit of God inspired both. I keep thinking, you know, this narrow path, the way of the Lord, even when I look at Psalm 119, I keep thinking, this is not for the faint of heart. Or is it? Is it actually in our acknowledgement that we are the faint of heart, (laughs) that we need the Word of God like we need air today? And every day we need that air, the very remembrance that brings back the bewilderment that we belong to this covenant-keeping, grace-extending God. And you know what? We need each other to help each other be encouraged and to help each other endure. I'm going to close today with our Hebrew letter, and it's the letter Yud or Yod. Yod is actually the smallest of all the Hebrew letters, and it occurs most frequently, though, throughout the scriptures. In fact, there's a Hebrew phrase that I love that's associated directly with this letter, and it's this, the little that holds a lot. I know I feel like that sometimes, and I'm sure you do too, that you're little, but you hold a lot. I think that's true in the sense of all that we have, that we're carrying today, and just what it looks like to care for our own souls, as well as caring for the people around us that God's brought into our lives. 
But I think it's also true of you and me in a spiritual sense that, yes, we might be small, we might feel little, even insignificant in some ways, but we were made to hold the mysteries of God, as we talked about earlier. It reminds me of the song that Nathan and I wrote, our Noah, who I said turned 20 this month. It says, there's a mystery inside you, so let it define you. What you were made for defines you. You might feel little, but you were made for a lot. You were made by God to be enjoyed by Him. And in allowing yourself to be enjoyed by Him, you begin to glorify Him and even to represent Him to the world. You're a little that holds a lot. (laughs) Because Yod is the smallest letter, it's actually known as a picture of humility in Hebrew tradition. In fact, in Numbers 12.3, in a Hebrew, you can see that there's an extra Yud written in the scripture, and it's inserted right where it says, Moses was the most humble man on the face of the earth. It's like literally there to emphasize the humility of Moses. Also, Israel is called the smallest of nations in Deuteronomy 7.7. And according to Jewish traditions, it's considered to be a type of Yud before the great nations of the earth. By the way, this is one of my favorite passages in Scripture, so I'm actually going to read it out loud over you. Deuteronomy 7, starting in verse 6, all the way through 9, I believe. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all the peoples on the face of the earth to be His people, His treasured possession. The Lord did not set His affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath He swore to your ancestors that He brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery, from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. We are a little that holds a lot. The shape of the letter Yud actually looks like a person bowed in prayer. And in pictograph, it looks like an arm or hand. Quite literally, it actually looks like the hand of a snowman that you would just get out of your yard and put in your snowman. But this arm or hand in its form is suggesting that it's reaching up toward the heavens in humility. It's this little looking to a lot. According to HebrewForChristians.com, it is said that because of the smallness and humility of this letter, Yud, it has been adorned with a small ascending prong or tag that points to God. It's called the cots of a yod, and it is said that a Torah scroll is actually invalid even if it lacks this tiny part of the letter yod. So even though it's tiny, it's vital. Again, I think the letter goes beautifully with today's passage, and the psalmist would have known this and crafted it with that in mind. For those of us who are longing to walk in the way of the Lord, may we be reminded that even in smallness and humility, God can use us in mighty ways to encourage others who are also longing to walk in the way of the Lord today. Honestly, it doesn't even take much in these days to encourage one another, does it? We're so hungry for it. We don't even realize what a gift it is to others to say, hey, turn to me if you need some cheering on. We might not think we have anything to offer others, but even just that in a text to someone this week, hey, if you need some encouragement, 
Just know that I'm here. I'm right here along with you. I'm walking in the way of the Lord too. I'm here if you need me to just walk in the way of the Lord alongside you. If you need a soft place to land, I'm here. If you need a place to laugh, to vent, to cry, I'm here. Maybe it's a coffee on your front porch with a friend to say, if you need me to help you hold on to the other side of the tension in your life today, a mystery that maybe you can't quite wrap your heart around yet, I'm here. May we see each other and even turn to each other and rejoice in these days, hoping together in the living, breathing, enduring Word of God. I'll talk to you soon.